Malachi 2 verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord, that the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the, the, the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You, uh, you belong to him, body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Thank you, Rami. Well, hello, friends. I'm sure that that passage it's a tough one tonight. Uh, it's a very serious one. It, it hits quite heavy. And so the sermon tonight is fairly heavy. Uh, I'm going to pray as we uh, come before God's word together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it speaks to all different aspects of our life and who we are and our experiences. So God, tonight we pray that by your spirit you speak to us. Through my strengths, through my weaknesses, through who I am, may my words be yours. And please, by your spirit, move with everybody in here, um, whether they're in the room or across the screen. God, we all come from different walks in life. And so we ask that you meet us where we're at. That you bring the healing reconciliation that comes with Christ. And that you propel us to live for him as our Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, as I mentioned tonight, we are addressing a challenging topic. The very centre of it is about faithfulness. And the centre of it is about faithfulness in the context of relationships. It's about broken covenants. It's about unfaithfulness uh, that people do to one another and to God. Now, faithfulness is a little bit out of fashion in our world. Uh, people have generally, as a society, we've lowered the standard of commitment or lowered the value that we have on commitment. But as we look at this passage in the Bible, and you look across all of the Bible, not the case with God. God deeply values commitment. He deeply values the covenant that he has with us and that we can have uh, with one another. And that is because that is the right way to worship God, 
but it's also how flourishing in community happens. It's when humanity's at our best. And so that's what this passage is pointing us towards. As you'll be aware, we're trekking through this series in Malachi. And amongst it all, it's a bunch of six conversations where God is calling people back to himself. Return to me. For whatever reason, shape, God is saying, you've, uh, you've gone against me, you've gone against one another. So he corrects them, he calls them, he rebukes them back to himself. And tonight we are in the third conversation. Now, as I said, the, the, the theme, the, the main context is about faithfulness. But the particular issue is about marriage. And then in particular to that is about divorce. And so I recognize that as I speak about this, that for some of us, this is a really deep, hurting and sensitive issue. And so I'm very conscious of that as we approach God's word. But also I want to make clear, and what, the, what this passage is doing is it is speaking directly against that. It's speaking and to create a community which doesn't create that kind of hurt. And we will see how it is that God brings uh, healing and reconciliation. And I think why this is so important to us is that God cares so deeply for our relationships. God cares deeply if you're in a marriage relationship. God cares deeply for our friendships. He cares deeply for our community. All the way back even to the beginning of Genesis, when God created man and woman in his image, he created them to be in relationship. And so this passage is a warning against the disastrous effects and promotes us towards something which is good, beautiful, and true. And so we're going to trek through the passage. It's nice. It's got a nice introduction. And then it's broken into two broken covenants. And so we'll address those things and then see how it points us towards Christ. But if you have a look, verse 10. This is the opening. It's the introduction. And the thrust of it is forgetfulness leads to unfaithfulness. God, he calls them out on a few things. He gives them two rhetorical questions and then gives an answer. It says this, Do you not know that we all have one Father? Do not one God create us? Now, the obvious answer to that question is, yeah, we do have one God um, and one, one Father and one God did create us. So he goes on and says, well, then why do you profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Israelites, and extension Christians, you're united by your identity to God, that he has called you, that he has made you. And so therefore, if you're united to him, all of us, why are you being unfaithful to one another? Those things don't go together. And Malachi's message is super simple. simple. Forgetfulness will lead to unfaithfulness. And friends, that just goes throughout every aspect of our life. If we ever forget that our central identity, that our allegiance is to God, and that identity is given to us, it's not achieved, it, it is received. And if we forget that our identity is in God, it will in some way lead to unfaithfulness and it will in some way lead to hurt of ourselves and someone else. Now, the particular thrust here is going to be in the marriage relationship, but this applies to every single aspect of our life. You forget your identity in God, we forget our identity in God, it will lead to unfaithfulness. And we see how that plays out uh, in the marriage relationship here. So the first broken covenant in verse is verses 11 through to 12. And it's a broken covenant that's with God because of intermarriage between uh, people of a foreign nation. Now to firstly paint the historical setting, what's going on here in this moment? Now, we're reading Malachi, which is a prophetic book. It's a prophecy. 
but there's a historical parallel. So what's going on in the history at the time, we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. And in Ezra and Nehemiah, one of the big things that's going on is the Israelites have married people from um, other countries who worship foreign gods. And both of them are calling um, the Israelites back to God by, no, don't have those marriages. You must marry someone who follows the Lord. And so we read this in verse 11. Judah, you've been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, could be a priest, as we were looking at before, could be anyone in their society. Whoever that may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering before the Lord. In many ways, there's a lot of words there, but that's as clear as they. Do not marry someone who's from another religion. And that's something to just clarify here. This is not a comment about race. This is a comment about religion. God is saying through the prophet Malachi, do not marry someone who doesn't serve me, Yahweh. If they're serving a foreign God, if they're worshiping a foreign God, you cannot marry them. If they come into your community, then you can we see that wonderfully through the example of Rahab and Ruth. In the Old Testament, these are foreign women who came into the covenant family of God and chose to have God as their um, only God. We see it beautifully in Ruth. Uh, she says to Naomi, Wherever you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Foreigners by race, of course, can come into the family of God. We, almost all of us, are foreigners from the original Jewish nation. We've come into the family of God. But even in that time, if a person became a follower of Yahweh, you could marry them. This is an issue of race. It's an issue of religion. And what we see is this carries the same as we get into the New Testament. It's the same principle. Paul makes it pretty clear in both the Corinthian letters. In 2 Corinthians, he says, don't be yoked, which can include all sorts of relationships, but particularly marriage, to someone who is an unbeliever. And in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, he says, a Christian is free to marry any person of the opposite sex as long as they belong to the Lord. It's the same principle from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They must worship Yahweh, our God. And that is what uh, we are to apply to ourselves too. We need to make sure that who we pursue uh, belongs to the Lord. But there can be mixed marriages. And the reason that there can be mixed marriage, like someone who follows the Lord and someone who doesn't, is because if someone who married that person, but then they became a Christian. So if you're too unchristian, you're two people who didn't follow the Lord, and then one of you comes to faith, the Bible says, Paul in particular, says, well, don't divorce that person. No, remain with them, but follow the Lord and try to win them with your prayers and your behavior. So in that circumstance, a person may be married to someone who isn't a Christian, but because they've begun that relationship when uh, they both weren't. And if that is the case, then we should be deeply encouraging that sister or that brother who's in that, uh, that marriage. We need to be the person that's going to be encouraging them in their faith, helping them to persevere, helping them to keep stepping, helping them to be faithful, because it's highly likely that their marriage partner is not doing that for them. But what is exceptionally clear here is that we need to avoid marriage with someone who is not of Yahweh. The passage says here that it is detestable. 
That is strong language, like revolting, yuck, disgusting in God's eyes. Now, it's particularly like that here because God is saying that you have broken my covenant with you. Because God said back in Deuteronomy when he was forming the Mosaic Covenant, basically his relationship with them, you cannot marry someone who is uh, not of me. And so when they marry someone who is not of them, they break that covenant, and that is what is so detestable to God. But in our day, and it's the same, one of the primary reasons for that is because someone who isn't of God, they have a completely different worldview. They have a completely different set of behaviours, a completely different set of values. Because the Christian framework is based around Christ, about self-sacrificing for the good of others. And so when, if we unite with someone in a marriage relationship or deep friendship, whatever it may be, but particularly in the context of marriage here, there's a tremendous temptation to water down our faith. There's a tremendous temptation to stop persevering, to not make God number one. And that is what we saw in, throughout the Bible. You see it in the story of Samson, uh, Solomon, sorry, not Samson. Well, Samson too, actually. But <laughs> Solomon in particular. Because for a Christian... They live for the glory of God, and a non-Christian doesn't. A Christian seeks to raise their kids in the instruction of the Lord, and someone who is not a follower of God doesn't do that. A Christian is financially giving to the work of God and his church. A non-Christian is not going to do that. A Christian is part of the church. A Christian wants to invest their time, their talents, their treasures it's so hard for us if you want to follow the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength if you're going to intentionally unite with someone who isn't doing that. And so for those of us who are not married yet, I firstly want to say to be married is not the epitome of any Christian. The goal for the Christian is not to become married. But God speaks into what it looks like for those of us who do get married. It is a good thing, uh, but it's certainly not the epitome. So don't date anybody who isn't a Christian. In a sense, that's a pretty natural explanation. And it can be very hard to hear, especially when you have a deep connection with someone who isn't of the faith. But don't go down that road. It will be dangerous for you. It will be dangerous uh, potentially for them too. Because some of us speak about missionary dating, flirt to convert, that kind of thing. All right? That practice, as a general rule, is dangerous for them and it is deceptive. Because if you go in with that attitude, okay, I'm going to flirt to convert, I'm going to missionary date you, whatever it may be, you've hidden your intention to them. And in the event that, well, you can't marry them, so you're going to have to break up with them, you're going to cause them an incredible amount of hurt. When I was young, when I was in year 11 and I was learning this, I did the exact opposite. I dated someone who wasn't a Christian. And it ended very poorly for us. It was not helpful for her. It was not helpful for me. Friends, what we see here is to not do it. But secondly, it is dangerous to you. Because if you do fall deeply in love with this person, you are likely to walk away from the faith. I've only been a pastor, an associate pastor for a short period of time. And I've seen a few people that have chosen to marry someone who is not of the faith. In the experiences that I've had, Every single one of them has walked away. Chatting with Ange about it, he said that, yeah, there's lots of people that do. It's the majority. Not always the case. There's some beautiful stories where someone um, who doesn't follow the Lord comes to faith as a result of their partner, and that's a beautiful, that's a good thing to be praised. 
but our first allegiance is to God. And because our first allegiance is to God, we need to make sure our relationships, and especially ones uh, to the people that we seek to marry, are centered on him. That's the first covenant that's broken. But that brings us to the second one. The second covenant that is broken talks about divorce and unfaithfulness in the marriage relationship. So verse 13, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because, you, because he no longer looks on favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from his hands. You ask why? It's because It is because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your covenant, your marriage covenant. The men here, for whatever reason, are divorcing their wives. We don't know. We're not told. Maybe it's financial gain. Maybe it's beauty. Maybe they've fallen in love with them. We don't know. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. There's no good reason for these men to do that. And God is saying, I was a witness to your marriage. You know when you watch a marriage and people are up here, you're in the audience, you watch them get married, they go over here, they sign something. There's always two signatures. There's a signature of the people that are getting married and there's a witness. God is also the witness in every single marriage. And that is what God is saying here. I was a witness to your marriage and you've broken that. I saw it, I validated it. It's in my eyes and you've broken it. Wow, that's, that's heavy. But that is what is going on here. And then there's this bit about tears without repentance. Uh, sorry, these tears, um, but God no longer hears them. And he no longer hears them because they're tears without repentance. That is what is happening here. It's like they're saying, like, God, I'm currently sinning, uh, but I'm, I want you to forgive me. That's effectively what they're saying. God, I'm marrying these people. I'm divorcing them. I know it's against you. I'm giving you all my offerings. Lord, why don't you accept them? Now, of course, to us, that just be so obvious. They're actively sinning with no care to repent, and so God will not accept their offering. And friends, that can go to any and every part of our life. That is not just related to the marriage covenant. In any part of our life, if you say, okay, God, forgive me for this, but this, I'm, I'm just going to keep following my own passions and desires and temptations or whatever it may be. If we're not following the Lord actively in some area, then what do you expect of God to give you forgiveness for the others? Now, of course, God is gracious. We have an incredibly gracious God. We can depend on his forgiveness. But don't take his forgiveness lightly. Don't take it cheaply. Don't take it arrogantly as what is going on here. Then we get to verse 15 and 16. Perhaps the most intense. Has not one God, has not one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? God the offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty does violence in no uncertain terms here and the scholars debate how to actually translate this but it is so clear god hates it when people divorce that is not god's intention it damages the person it damages their children we need to value the covenant of marriage we'll get to a few corrections to that in a moment but that that is the that is the bedrock 
that God calls us to, to faithfulness. I like how one commentator named Elizabeth said, or what she said. It's little wonder that the act is called violence, as you see in verse 16. To divorce someone violently injures the well-being, the dreams, the securities of all involved. Malachi knows all about the desolation that accompanies the breakup of the family. So friends, this passage, and I heard this from a pastor in the US named Matt Chandler. He said, this passage is to protect women from stupid men. That's what this passage is about. Obviously, it applies to both men and women because in our day and age, women have the right to pursue a divorce. In this day, it was only the men that had that right. But it is to protect the vulnerable. It is to protect the woman in this case. And so that is the kind of people that we are called to be. And friends, the marriage covenant, of course, is special. But it also is extremely hard work. Uh, my wife and I, Elizabeth, we're celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary. Uh, we get, that's in December, but we're celebrating it this week. Which is a beautiful thing. But our marriage is one of the best and the hardest things that we do. And so we need to hold on to the covenant that we have made before one another. We said things to each other like, I will be your loving husband and I'll be your loving and faithful husband with no one else. All I am I give to you, all I have I share with you, whether we enjoy or sorrow in sickness or in health, as long as we both shall live. Complete commitment no matter the circumstance. I was chatting to Robin uh, even today, and her little phrase is, out is never an option. I liked that. I thought that was helpful. John Piper says, staying married is not about staying in love. It is about keeping covenant. So, friends, for those of us who are married, and this can relate to friendships too, but it's particularly strong uh, in marriage, it is not easy. This passage is saying, be on your guard to ensure that you remain faithful. Weddings are not the end, but they are the beginning. So build practices into your relationships to help foster something that's faithful, something that honours God, something that will continue to foster a healthy relationship. And it's going to be terrible. It's going to be hard at times. Some of you have been around for way longer than me, and you know that super well. For those of us who potentially may be married in the future, then you've got to go in with that attitude. It is about commitment, and from there the love will flow. There's a late author named Stephen Covey, and he said, love is a verb. Love is not a feeling. Love is a verb. It is an action. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about commitment. It's about putting the other person above yourself. So we need to be proactive in how we care for one another. But I also think that us as a church have a role to play in the marriages of others. There was this study I came across this week from the University of Chicago, uh, which said that there was a study of people who stayed together and of people who were divorced. And as a general rule, the researchers found that couples in the midst of their struggle had a significant chance of staying together when their friends encouraged them, when their friends were with them, when their friends spoke positively, when their friends supported them in whatever way, shape, or form. Now, it might sound obvious, but this is the kind of people we are to be. Whether we're in, we aren't in a marriage relationship, we need to support each other in that space, or we are in a marriage relationship, we need to support each other in there too. But as we do all this talk about marriage, the Bible is also clear that there is a time for divorce. It's a concession that's given, but there is a time. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus, he talks specifically about adultery, uh, about when someone commits a, 
um, sex and sexual activity outside the marriage covenant. You read about that in Matthew 19 uh, and also Matthew chapter 5. But there's another reason too, and that is, in a sense, strongly given in this passage, and we see it as we look at the whole test, the whole Bible as a whole, is that when domestic violence and abuse comes into the marriage, that can be very valid reasons for separation and divorce. Domestic and family abuse in it can be in any way that one partner seeks to maintain power and control through physical abuse, could be emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, financial abuse, verbal, any manner of ways that a person seeks to do that. This passage, it, it points to the terribleness that can happen, the violence that someone clothes themselves in that they do to others. And so I want to say clearly, and I've heard Ian say this countless times when he preaches on similar passages, that there is a time where we will encourage someone to step away from the marriage where there is serious threat, where there is domestic violence and abuse. We are not naive to, naive to think that just because we're in the church that that doesn't happen. Domestic and family violence should never be a part of our relationships and our families and our marriages. And so we want to do what we can, a community and us as leaders, to be able to support people in those spaces, to help them find safety and to help the perpetrators uh, to find transformation uh, that can happen in Christ. Now, as we go through these things, and I recognise that they're, they're, they're quite heavy and they're really hard, and so in so many ways it just points us to Christ. It points us towards our incredible need for him. Because in these broken covenants, in some way, shape or form, we've committed them. We've committed some kind of broken covenant with God. Um, we've committed some broken covenant with someone that we're in relationship with. And so we're in desperate need of Christ. And so when we look at the person of Christ, we see he is the one who fulfills all these covenants. Not just these two uh, that we hear about in Malachi, but all the ones throughout all of the Bible. And all the ways that Jesus did it means he earned the blessing and then he gives us that blessing. All the things that we could never earn, he gives us. It is credited to us. You don't need to earn it. That's a beautiful thing. But also we see in the person of Christ, because he is called the groom and his church is called the bride, Jesus pursues his people. Jesus goes after the people who are lost. Jesus goes after the people who are unfaithful. Just like a faithful husband or a faithful wife pursues their partner. Even in the midst of unfaithfulness, Jesus pursues you. So if you think you're, you've done way too much against God, you think you're too far fallen, Jesus still calls out his hand, come to me. I will give you forgiveness. I will bring you into my family. I will bring reconciliation and redemption. So listen to him. Follow his invitation. He is a good God. He is a good Lord. He is a great friend who will call you to himself. And then finally, Christ offers and brings redemption for his bride. There is a level of healing which is available in Christ this side of eternity for those who are in relationship with him. It might not be in full, that's up to God. It's his prerogative however he chooses. But he will be with us no matter what. He'll be with us in those dark moments, especially for those of us who are victims of oppression and abuse. And he wants his church to be a place which is secure and caring for people like that. 
And so as we look to these covenants of marriage and they point us directly to Christ, they also push us to look to our first covenant that we all have, no matter what kind of relationships you were iron in. If you are a Christian, then you have made a covenant with Christ. He has called you and you have said, yes, I'm going to turn away from whatever I was following before and Jesus is going to be my Lord. He is going to be my King. And so we are called to remain faithful to Christ. He is our Lord. This passage calls us to be on guard. So friends, be on guard in your faith with God. Be on guard for the ways that the spiritual powers of this world through one deceptive piled on another, another deceptive act are going to pull you away from God. It says in Ephesians that our battle is not against the flesh of this world, but the powers and the principalities of the dark world, the evil forces. Your faith is under attack in some way, shape or form. Be on guard. Be with one another. Support one another in your faith. We have to be faithful to our first commitment to Christ. I was thinking about the anatomy of affairs that we can have as we walk away from God. Usually the anatomy of an affair with people in normal, in human relationships is it starts small and gets bigger and bigger and more uh, consuming as it goes on. So we now walk with God. If there's habitual sin, we need to put it to death. Care for each other in the ways that we talk about sinfulness. I spoke about that last week, but don't be celebrating sin. Bad company, bad company corrupts good character. Have an attitude of gratefulness, not resentment. Think about the ways that you spend time with God. If you're absent from him, then you are constantly going to be falling away. As we fall away from God, it's not usually one moment. It can be at times, but it's usually a series of events. Guard your faith. And then persevere in your faith. Continue in it. We've been going through Bibles for the persecuted church uh, the last little while. And I've been deeply encouraged by some of the stories that we read about people who, under immense suffering, keep walking the faith and keep walking it with their brothers and sisters. So take encouragement from the people that we've read about over the past 21 days. But also persevere in, in our walk together. Keep doing the spiritual rhythms. We speak about them often, but we need to keep doing that. Remember your identity, that your identity is in Christ, it's given, it's received, not achieved. Let that be the centre of who we are and it propels us to be faithful to him. Value the covenant that God has given us and that we have accepted above all things. And may he get the glory, we get the joy, and may our communities be blessed. Let me pray. Father God, we, th- we are so thankful that you have made a covenant with us, the new covenant that is sealed for us in the blood of Jesus. And we can have complete confidence that you will not cast us aside because we are in Christ. Father, I do ask that you bring forgiveness, that you bring reconciliation to us. And Father, I do pray for those of us that are experiencing the horrors of family breakdown and unfaithfulness or domestic violence or whatever it may be. Father, be with them. Help us to be a wonderful place of safety, care and support. May you grow your church to bring you glory and to be a blessing to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.